When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, hello. Welcome to podcasting from the brink of societal collapse. Just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am Liv, your host who is forcing herself to cope with this, even though it's one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. My province is handling it. Eh? I don't want to say poorly, but kind of? Anyway, man, it's getting crazy. For those of you listening from the future, when all of this has long passed, I'm so jealous. I hope humanity learned something. 
But today's episode is not about being dark. Nope, because again, forcing myself to deal. At the same time, though, friends, I am not so up for the trials and tribulations of Aeneas right now because one, it makes me think of poor Italy. To any listeners there, I'm thinking of you. And two, it's just not entertaining enough to distract me. Maybe it will be in a week and I'll welcome it. But for now, we're going to go to one of the most famous of Greek comedies, from everyone's favorite playwright of the erection-filled romp that is the Lysistrata, Aristophanes. The comedic playwright of the 5th century BCE dove into political commentary in the most entertaining and ridiculous of ways. If you haven't listened to my telling of his play, The Lysistrata, please do, especially right now. I think it will bring you the laughs we all could use. There's a lot of erections. It's all very funny. Today, though, we're not talking about hard-ons. No, this one is ridiculous in other ways and features everyone's favorite god of wine, a god I've been devoting perhaps too much time to during these few first days of isolation, Dionysus. Before we dive in, though, I just want to let you all know a couple of things. One, so, so many of you ask so often, so I've finally created a page on my website with a list of sources that I use. It'll be updated as I remember certain ones and add new ones, but for now, it's there and pretty damn complete. It also includes links where available to purchase the books from bookshop.org. They're a company that helps independent bookstores, and I have an affiliate set up with them, so if you go buy those books via those links on my website, I get a small cut, and we all win. And speaking of, right now, the company that handles my merch, Threadless, is giving their creators a higher cut of the profits of sales due to COVID and everyone being harder up than they'd like. I was partially laid off from my day job. So if, you, if you've been looking to buy merch and you still have the ability to, considering what's going on, just consider doing it now because it helps me more than it normally would. That said, I know everyone is having a tough time, so take care of yourselves first and foremost. This is episode 74, Frog's Ribbit en route to the Underworld, Aristophanes' The Frogs, part one. Let me set the scene. Dionysus appears on stage. He wears a bright yellow robe. It's fitting for a Dionysiac festival, but we're told resembles what women wore. Over this, he's placed a lion skin and he holds a club. He's trying, poorly, to disguise himself as Heracles. If you see a man in a lion skin holding a club, it's Heracles. This is very helpful when viewing marbles and artwork from the ancient world. You can sound smart when you notice it. A quick tangent. I recently went to see the new adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. It's wonderful. Austen has my heart. Just in time, too, because they shut down our theaters days after. There's a passing shot of a marble bust of, you guessed it, Heracles. I whisper over to my mom, that's Heracles. She laughs. I sound smart and interesting. And so here is Dionysus, dressed somewhat frumpily, appearing as a meh-looking middle-aged man. He has with him a servant named Xanthius. Xanthius is laden with lots of bundles and luggage, and he's riding a donkey. It's all very comical. Xanthius looks out at the audience of the play and asks Dionysus next to him, So, should I make one of the old jokes? The ones audiences always find so funny? We're off with a bang. We're going meta here, and it's going to be great. With a sigh, Dionysus replies, Just don't keep saying, oh, what a load, okay? Sure, sure, says Xanthius. Something craftier then, more highbrow. How about, quote, If nobody will take away my pack, I'll let a fart and blow it off my back. 
How about you set that one aside for later, is Dionysus's reply. So what, says Xanthius, I've been lugging all of this around and I can't even make a joke about it. All the best comedic writers have a hilarious baggage-carrying gag. Well, this one won't, Dionysus tells him. Ignoring Xanthius, Dionysus points out to him that, for all his complaints, it seems near sacrilegious that he, the one of them who is a god, must walk, while Xanthius, a slave, rides comfortably on the donkey. I am carrying the luggage, Xanthius replies petulantly. You are not! You're riding a donkey! Sure, but I'm carrying the luggage. This goes on. Sadly, I cannot simply read you the play. I kind of wish I could. The two quip back and forth. Is he really carrying the luggage if the donkey's carrying all the weight? You ask my shoulders, is Xanthius's reply. Well, then you'd best change places with the donkey, says Dionysus. He isn't doing much good if that's the case. Finally, the pair makes their way to the door on stage. Xanthius troubles himself with getting off the donkey and freeing himself of all the packages he's been holding. His poor shoulders. Dionysus knocks on the door, yelling inside when no one answers. Hey there, slave! I know you're inside! Open up! Who's there? A voice calls from inside. Some centaur, surely, the voice grumbles. Finally, it's Heracles himself who opens the door. The real and true Heracles. Tall, muscular, very heroic-looking. He's a little older now, but still looks good. And so he finds the stout, frumpily, oddly-dressed man before him quite funny. It's clear the man is imitating Heracles in his dress, yet no one in their right mind could possibly be convinced. Heracles breaks down in riotous laughter, ending up on the floor. Ah, did you see that? Dionysus asks asks Xanthius as Heracles tries to collect himself. What? Answers Xanthius. I scared him, Dionysus replies, very proud of himself. Heracles gets to his feet, tries to return to his home, but Dionysus stops him. Wait, he calls. I have something to ask you. Heracles returns, still laughing. I'm sorry, old man, but I can't help myself. What are you wearing? Why the lion skin? Why the club? While I was away on Cleisthenes' ship, he says, referring to a recent naval battle, and I had the most incredible desire. For what? A woman? Heracles quips. Or maybe a man? No, no, says Dionysus. Have you ever just had an incredible desire for, say, pea soup? Of course. When do I not? Heracles replies as though that's the most normal question and response imaginable. Well, you see, that's the kind of desire I have for Euripides. Mm, Heracles looks at Dionysus, very confused. Euripides, but he's dead. He died last year. Still, replies Dionysus, nothing will stop me from going to see him. You mean in the underworld? Even farther if I have to. Why? Heracles is all of us, confused. I need a poet who can really write, says Dionysus. Everyone now is bad or dead. Some alternatives are proposed to Dionysus. Poets who, Heracles would suggest, aren't awful and are notably alive. But Dionysus will have none of it. No, he simply must speak with Euripides, dead or not. Heracles lists so many poets that I have to assume were real in ancient Greece, given Euripides was very much real. But to all of them, Dionysus has his reasons for finding them lacking. Honestly, it's fascinating given Euripides is one of the three that we do have remaining. 
Dionysus does know Sophocles as well, but it is Euripides that Dionysus feels is best suited to what he needs. Oh, Euripides, he really is the best, even now. Throughout this exchange, poor Xanthius likes to drop in a line or two about how no one is paying attention to him and, oh, his poor shoulder. Getting back to the point, says Dionysus, I'm here dressed in this way because you've been there before. You remember Cerberus. So I wanted to ask you for any tips you might have. Quote, any useful contacts down there? Where you get the boat? Which are the best eating houses, bread shops, wine shops? (laughs) Heracles looks at Dionysus less than amused. You're not seriously considering going down there, he asks. I absolutely am, replies Dionysus. You just tell me the fastest way to get there, please. Well, Heracles considers, there's always the rope and the tree, if you don't mind hanging out a bit. Dionysus replies, quote, don't give me a pain in my neck. Okay, well, there's always the mortar and pestle then. You're referring to hemlock, Dionysus notes dryly. Heracles nods. You want to go straight down, Heracles asks. Exactly. Well, you know the tower? Just go up to the top and watch from below, then count one, two, three, and let go. No, no, Dionysus says. Quote, just think, all those lovely brains. I'm not going that way. Well, how do you want to get there? Heracles finally asks. However you did. Well, that's a very long trip, replies Heracles. You'll start at a very big, very bottomless lake. The ferryman there will take you across if you pay him. It's amazing what you can pay for these days, Dionysus exclaims. Yes, it was Theseus, the Athenian, who introduced it, Heracles says. Once you're over the lake, you'll get to all the snakes and monsters, so many snakes and monsters. And then there's that nasty marsh, the river of shit. He goes on and on. Heracles continues telling Dionysus and Xanthius, though, Xanthius is just hanging back, complaining every once in a while, about what else they'll encounter on their way to Pluto's palace in the underworld. Finally, he finishes, telling Dionysus, good luck, and he goes back inside his house, shutting the door. Once Heracles has returned inside, Dionysus and Xanthius turn once more to each other. How to proceed? The first thing they notice? The pair's donkey has wandered off. They're donkeyless now. As they look around, mournful music begins to play, and a funeral procession crosses in front of them, corpses being carried off to their resting places. There, nudges Xanthius. Look at all those bodies they're carrying. Why don't you hire one of them to bring your things down? Hmm, Zionysus thinks. What if they don't want to? Then I will, says Xanthius, but you might as well ask. Dionysus agrees. Excuse me, hello, he calls to the corpses. Excuse me, you there, body. The corpse sits up straight, those carrying him stop. Dionysus continues. Could you help me and take my things down to the underworld with you? Two drachmas, the corpse tells Dionysus. Drachmas are money. No, that's too much, Dionysus replies, shaking his head. The corpse shrugs, then motions to the men carrying him. You can keep going, he tells them. Wait, Dionysus calls and offers him more money. To which the corpse replies, quote, I'd rather live. <laughs> Guys, this play is so ridiculous. I love it. The full-blown corpse follows this quip by giving a jerk and <clears throat> lying back down before being carried off dead once more by the men. With a sigh, poor Xanthius resigns himself and begins to load himself up once again with all of Dionysus's things. 
They continue on, arriving at the lake and finding the ferryman, Charon. Charon agrees to take Dionysus across, but Xanthius will have to walk. He won't take slaves, he tells Xanthius. It's pretty objectively horrible, so do I even need to comment? Anyway, Charon will take Dionysus. Xanthius must walk around and meet him on the other side. Meanwhile, things aren't the easiest for Dionysus on the ferry. There's a very comedic exchange that, frankly, I can't recite all of it to you because I'm how long into this episode and only 16 pages into the play. Lord. Anyway, the kicker is that Sharon makes Dionysus row the oars to get them across while Sharon stands at the front very comfortable. It's a very entertaining scene. You'll have to read it. In the end, though, Dionysus does indeed row, and Sharon sets a tempo by calling to Dionysus, In out. And once he does, off stage, we hear the first rumblings of the chorus. The chorus of frogs. Yes, one of the chorus. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. 
and of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Choruses of this Greek play is not Corinthian elders nor women of Thebes. No, they're simply frogs, singing frogs. This translation I'm using, you can find it in the episode's description, manages to keep the rhyming structure of the ancient Greek. And so the first choral ode of the frogs is incredible. It's probably a bit much to quote, but I'm going to anyway, don't tell. The first time we hear these choral frogs, they sing, quote, Oh, we are the musical frogs. We live in the marshes and bogs. Sweet, sweet is the hymn that we sing as we swim, and our voices are known for their beautiful tone. When on festival days we sing to the praise of the genial God, and we don't think it odd when the worshipping throng to the sound of our song rolls home through the marshes and bogs. You should probably just go buy this play now. I mean, even in Canada, this cute little edition was only $5. Don't buy from Amazon. Dionysus is less than thrilled by this chorus of musical frogs that has shown up. Why are you even here? Is basically his response. To which they tell him another incredible song that I wish I could recite to you. But instead, a highlight. The frogs make very clear to Dionysus that they are a very well-respected musical group, thank you very much. When anyone needs anything for their instruments, Apollo, even Pan, they head to the frogs of the marshes and bogs, who are, quote, the rage on Parnassus, for none can surpass us. I hope this joke stands on its own, but just in case, Parnassus is where the muses are, making it a particularly important place for creativity, namely song. Still, Dionysus doesn't care about these frogs. He's now more concerned with the blisters forming on his ass from all the sitting and rowing. But the frogs won't abate. For the duration of the boat ride, Dionysus argues with the chorus of frogs. They sing extensive rhyming odes about their burps and other frog-related things. He counters, claiming he can match them equally in everything, going so far as to imitate their froggy sounds. Finally, the frogs fall silent. Dionysus feels he's won their silly battle of the species, gods versus frogs, the ultimate singing showdown. Tragically, this is the only scene with the frogs. The frogs are gone because the boat has reached the water's edge. It crashes into the shore with a thud. Dionysus pays Charon, who shoves off again, leaving him alone in the now very dark beginnings of the underworld. He calls out for Xanthias in the darkness, and before long they find each other once more. The two are weary, on the lookout for all the horrible things Heracles told them would be on the other side of the lake. There's a sound. They're spooked. Xanthias sees it first, describing the monstrous figure to Dionysus. It keeps changing, transforming from animal to monster, briefly to a woman, which intrigues Dionysus. He tries to push past Xanthius at that. But before he can see her, the monster's transformed into a dog. Dionysus tells Xanthius that it must be an empusa. The two are frightened, wondering aloud where they should go. Dionysus spots a priest of, well, Dionysus, in the crowd, in the real audience, because there would have been a priest of Dionysus in the front row. The plays were performed for the god, so a priest is expected. 
Dionysus calls to this very real priest in the audience of the play, imploring him to help, before adding, quote, Remember that drink we're going to have after the show. Moving on through the path to the underworld, the pair pass by the Ampusa without any more incidents. Next, coming across the other chorus of the play, not as fun as the frogs, a chorus of young and old men and women, initiates of Iacos, of the cult of Eleusinian mysteries, those dedicated to Demeter and Persephone. They sing, dancing across the stage. The initiates perform their ceremony, eating and drinking and dancing and singing, before finally addressing Dionysus and Xanthius, who stand nearby, watching. Simply, they don't want them there. These outsiders are not welcome. All the same, the initiates continue their worship of Demeter, Persephone, and Iacos. At one point, the initiates start straight up pointing to the members of the audience and making fun of them, like specific people who were in the audience, and it's great. It's pretty interactive and mean play. It's good shit. But finally, Dionysus interrupts them to ask their help in their continued journey into the underworld. He asks where they'll find Master Pluto. Just continue on, they tell him. You're nearly there. So they do. Xanthius loads up again, throwing in another few complaints about his having to carry everything. And next time, couldn't you have all your luggage sent in advance? That's how they do things now. Dionysus and Xanthius arrive at Pluto's palace in the underworld, or Hades as they call it in this play, but I just have trouble with that. Dionysus prepares to knock on the door, but questions himself. What kind of knock is appropriate? Don't forget you're supposed to be Heracles, Xanthius reminds him. Finally, he knocks. Iacus, one of the judges of the underworld, comes to the door. Who's there? he calls. Heracles the Brave? Dionysus stutters ironically. This part doesn't go as planned. Iacus is not the happiest with Heracles, and hearing he's at the door, Iacus loses his shit. You've got a lot of nerve coming back here, he tells the man he believes to be Heracles. After what you did trying to hurt a little dog like Cerberus, don't think I don't remember. Iacus proceeds to hurl endless threats at Heracles, exactly what he'll do to the man if he gets his hands on him. He's still pretty mad about the time Heracles visited the underworld on the quest for Cerberus. It was Iacus who got to watch over the cutie pie three-headed pup. He's heckin' mad. He tells Dionysus, basically, BRB while I go back inside and get the hundred-headed viper, the lamprey, and gorgons that are gonna devour you and all your organs. I didn't mean to rhyme, but... Didn't that sound great? Iacus heads back inside and Dionysus collapses in terror. Strong and brave god that he is. Once he collects himself, trying to save face in front of Xanthius, who assures Dionysus that he wasn't the least bit scared. Well, if you're not scared, why don't you switch places with me? Dionysus proposes. We'll trade clothes. You be Heracles for a while. So they do. But once Xanthius is dressed like Heracles... It isn't Iacus who returns to the door with his hundred-headed viper. No, this time it's a maid of Persephone. Heracles, she calls. It's so nice of you to come back. As soon as Persephone heard you were coming, she started to cook. There's a pot of pea soup on the stove and cakes and everything. Why don't you come in? Xanthius resists, trying to keep from following the women inside. But when she tells him that there are some pretty girls dancing in there, well, that changes his mind. Dancing ladies, you say. Well then, he turns to Dionysus, calling, Boy, bring in that luggage. 
Wait just a second, Dionysus replies. Did you think I was serious about us switching? No, no, you give me the clothes back. I'm Heracles. You couldn't possibly be him. You're a slave. Xanthius tries to resist, but Dionysus pulls the god card. And so Xanthius, quite disappointed now, switches back. Dionysus is once again Heracles. But the very moment he's dressed as the hero once more, it isn't the maid returning to them, but two landladies who immediately recognize Heracles as the man who once ate 16 loaves of their bread and paid almost nothing for it. And not only that, it seems Heracles basically ate these women out of house and home. They have endless things to say that the man ate, just far too much food, frankly, and barely paid them. They are so pissed. They begin to issue similar threats to what Iacchus said, what exactly they want to do with Dionysus. But they need help, so they head back inside to get someone to help them punish Dionysus, or Heracles, rather. And so just as suddenly as before, Dionysus wants to switch clothes again. <laughs> oh no, says Xanthius. Didn't you just tell me I couldn't possibly pass as Heracles because I'm a slave? No, no, what are you talking about? Dionysus tries to backtrack. Have I mentioned you're one of my best friends? Oh, really? replies Xanthius. Oh, absolutely, just one of my favorite people. Now, would you take this stunning lion skin? Really suits you, brings out your eyes, you look incredible. Again, have I mentioned how great you are? Xanthius is still hesitant. I promise if I ask for it again, I may I rot for eternity. And everyone I love, too. That was enough. Xanthius agrees and takes the lion skin from Dionysus. He is Heracles once more. This time, though, the chorus is there to warn him that Dionysus will ask to switch back in an instant if the moment suits him. Oh, I know, Xanthius tells them. I'm ready for it, but in the meantime, I must practice my Heracles look, he says, making an expression that he calls a, quote, vinegar face. Now, Iacchus does return, and he has men with him to capture Heracles, chain him up for what he did to Cerberus. Xanthius, as Heracles, tries to fend them off, behaving as much like the hero god as he can muster. Meanwhile, Dionysus mutters about how this Heracles fellow should be ashamed of himself, stealing dogs, resisting arrest, ugh. Hey now, says Xanthius, I swear I haven't done any of the things you're accusing me of, haven't taken anything from you, swear it. Now, here's what you can do. I'll let you torture my slave instead, and if I'm proved wrong, then you can kill me. This is what Iacchus wanted to hear. Oh, that does sound tempting, he says. What kind of torture are you thinking? Oh, anything at all, replies Xanthius, before listing out a slew of things he'd be more than happy to let them do to Dionysus. Anything except hitting him with an onion, Xanthius clarifies. That, quote, brings tears to my eyes. Once Xanthius provides such extensive suggestions for how exactly Iacchus can torture Dionysus, Dionysus himself finally speaks out, giving up his secret in an effort to save himself. Wait! No, no, you can't torture me, he says. I'm an immortal, a god, he tells them. No, I won't allow you to do it. Sorry, what? Iacchus replies incredulously. You heard me, says Dionysus. I'm a god, I'm Dionysus, son of Zeus himself. It's him, he points at Xanthius, that's the slave. That's just one more reason to torture him, Xanthius retorts. If he's a god, he won't feel it. If that's the case, calls Dionysus, then you, Heracles, are a god too. Why don't you whip both of us? Yes, agrees Xanthius. Whoever feels it isn't a god at all. 
in this. This begins a scene where both of these men are being flogged quite violently by Iacus, a judge in the underworld. Meanwhile, after every hit, they make jokes about whether or not they can feel it. It seems neither of them can, and after a few tries really trying to make them feel it, Iacus gives in. I can't figure out which of you is the god, he announces in the end. Just come inside, he tells them. I can't tell, but Master Pluto and Persephone will be able to tell which of you is a god. They're gods themselves. To which Dionysus quips, Gee, you'd think we could have thought of that earlier. Oh, nerds, thank you all for listening. I really hope this got across just how ridiculous this play is. This was very fun to record. Needless to say, there will be another part of this play because Lord is it entertaining and I feel like I'm kind of losing my mind as I say it out loud. And I just, I couldn't cut enough of the dialogue. It's too good. So two-parter for sure. One thing I'll note, you may have noticed that I referred to the god of the underworld as Pluto. It's recently come to my attention that the name Pluto isn't explicitly Roman. It would have been Pluton in the Greek, which I should have known. That sounds so familiar, but anglicized it's Pluto. This was apparently a later name for the god or sometimes a cult name because the name Hades became associated with the underworld itself. Something I have in the past railed against as inaccurate. I was wrong. Hades can refer to the place as a whole. Oh, how I hate being wrong. Next week, I'll be back with more of the comedic stylings of Dionysus and Aristophanes. It's really fun, but stay tuned because I'm releasing some bonus content on Thursday to get us all through this endless free time. If you're one of those still working, though, I hope I get to just keep you company. Stay safe. Stay home if you can. Wash your hands. I am Liv and I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. 
Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.